Hello, I'm Shane Hartsfield, pastor of Beaver Baptist Church. Thank you for listening to our weekly podcast. If you have any questions about what it means to follow Christ or questions about our church, direct you to our website, beaverbaptist.com, for our contact information. Weekly, we study exegetically through books of the Bible. And now, join us as we dive into today's passage. And so we're here in the book of Ecclesiastes. We've studied through chapter 6. Remember chapters 1 and 2, Solomon, who's the wisest man to ever live, he is looking to find meaning and satisfaction in life, only to conclude that everything is vanity, right? And what does vanity mean? You remember? Nothing satisfied. It's meaningless, right? It doesn't satisfy. And in chapters 3 through 6, Solomon is sharing with us his just observations of life under the sun. And what we've seen so far is that man has this unquenchable appetite for more. We can't be satisfied. But that is God's providential plan. He's using that to draw us to himself. He tells us in chapter 3, verse 11, that he has put eternity in our hearts, right? Some people say it's that, that emptiness in us that only he can feel. Now, in the second part of the book, starting in chapter 7, Solomon's going to tell us how to live in this all is vanity world. He's going to tell us some practical things. But remember, this is wisdom literature, and some of the Proverbs here as we study are, are, are loosely connected. So we'll study chapter 7 today, but we won't hit every verse. I'll touch on most of these verses, but not all of them. And like Dan, my mentor, Solomon, he's learned a lot, but he's still seeking wisdom, even as he shares these things with us. And so let's look at the, the passage today, verses 1 through 7. And I'm going to give you just six Six things I think we can glean here from Solomon he's telling us to do. And the first thing, as, as, and if, as Chris was reading this text, what were you thinking? It's some difficult verses today, real difficult, actually. And, uh, and so as we walk through this, hopefully we can bring some clarity. Uh, but I, I will say some of these, some of these, te- some of these verses, they're, they're quite difficult. And we'll just do the best we can with them. But the first thing I think we learn in verse 1 through 7 is that we're to go to go to funerals. Go to more funerals. Anybody ever told you that? Look, it says in verse 1, A good name is better than ointment, and the day of death better than the day of birth. Now, a good name or a reputation is priceless, isn't it? Yeah, so you've, you've heard the old phrase. Some people say, well, I don't have anything. All I have is my good, what? My good name, right? And that is, it's priceless. A good reputation. In fact, to be an elder, to be a pastor... That's one of the requirements, isn't it? To have a good reputation with outsiders, with lost people. To be able to, for, for as a pastor, as I, I preach funerals, to be able to lay someone to rest, so to speak, right? And to be able to honestly say good things about them. Man, that's a blessing. And you, you can't always do that, can you? But to be able to lay somebody to rest and, and do their eulogy and be able to speak, speak truth, good things about them. This is this is how this person lived their life. They were a, a, a genuinely good person, a godly person, a wise person. But he says here, just like a good reputation is good, the day of death is also a blessing. It's kind of interesting. And, and at least for those who know Jesus, right? I mean, Psalm 116, verse 15, it's a, it's a verse I've quoted many times. Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. It's true, isn't it? For some, we grieve, right, when someone we know passes away. They leave this life. We grieve. But 
for some people, there is also, it's a time of rejoicing, isn't it? Even though we hurt and we grieve, but there is a time of rejoicing if they, if they knew the Lord, right? But Solomon expounds upon this idea in the next few verses. He tells us why funerals are good. Look at the second part of verse 2. And if you, if you have your Bibles, please keep them turned there. I want you to be able to, be able to look at these verses. Why are funerals good? Because verse 2, the second part of that verse, because all people die. And what happens when people die? They think about their mortality, right? Yeah, when do they think about their mortality? When do they think about serious things? At parties? No. It's at funerals, right? Yes, you think about what's, it makes you think about what's important in life. Some people say, well, you know, you're a pastor. You must hate preaching funerals. That would be horrible. I would hate doing that. I've had actually people tell me that would be like the worst part of your job. I'm like, no. I like doing it. I want to do it. In fact, I, the funeral homes, they have my number. It's like they don't have a, you know, if someone passed away in the, the families, and it's getting more and more common. Families, they don't know a preacher. I mean, they don't know any preacher, right? And the person that's deceased, they don't have a relationship with a preacher. And so they'll call and say, hey, we have a family and they don't know a pastor, can you do the funeral? I want to, if my time permits, I want to do those things. That's kind of morbid. Well, no, it isn't when you think about funerals are the best time for people to hear the gospel. Why? Because they're faced with their mortality, right? They're looking at their loved one's body. They're thinking about who's next, right? It could be me. I could be here soon, right? People could be talking about me and looking at my body, right? Very soon. Yeah, it could happen. At funerals, people are open to the gospel. Look at verse 3. Sorrow is good for the heart. Why? Because it makes you examine your life and think about what's important. That's when we learn about the Lord. That's when our faith is increased. That's when our... Uh, we think about what's important in life when it's at funerals, right? We learn more about God and life during the hard times than we ever would going through good times. Michael Johnson, we had this conversation this past week, and she's uh, we've been praying for her. You know, she's been she's been ill, and she talks about that. Oh, it's just so hard being sick, but in some aspects, it is so good, right? Because it makes you. Keep things in perspective, right? Look at verse 4. The wise, they think about their mortality, don't they? Why fools don't. And I, I, I talk to people and say, talk about funerals, whatever. They're, I don't do funerals. Well, what do you mean you don't do? I, I don't do funerals. They're so depressing. Like, yeah, it, you're right. They are. But isn't that good for us? Isn't that good for us? They're time to reflect and think about what's most important. Think about where we are. Think about what happens when we pass away. Verse 5 through 7. The crackling of thorns under a pot, so is the laughter of fools. This also is vanity. It's meaningless. The crackling of thorns. If if you've ever um, had bonfires, there are certain types of brush that they burn up very quickly and they make a lot of noise. They pop but they give off very little heat. So that's what it is the laughter laughter of a fool is like. It, does, it doesn't help them. It doesn't help them think about life. It doesn't help them 
uh, think about their own mortality and, and where they're going. And, and, and these foolish people, they want to avoid depressing events. They watch Comedy Central and they listen to Comedians Podcast, right? And Solomon isn't saying we're not, we shouldn't enjoy life. I mean, that's one of his themes we've seen already, right? Yeah, we ought to enjoy God's graces, the things he gives us. Yeah, we should enjoy life. We should be thankful. Weather's been pleasant the last few days, hasn't it? Hasn't been quite so hot. We ought to enjoy that. We ought to be thankful for it. Wow, it's a clear day. It's not so hot. We have, many of us have uh, an extra day off. Man, we ought to be thankful for that. Yeah. Be joyful. Be thankful. Thank you, Lord. We have this extra day off. We ought to enjoy these good graces. But it's also good for us to think about our mortality. We need difficult times, right, to bring us to our knees, so to speak, right? Yeah. So the first thing we learn here, Solomon wants us to go to more funerals. The second thing, verses 8 and 9, avoid impatience and pride. Avoid impatience and pride. Better is the end of a thing than the beginning, and the patient in spirit is better than the proud in spirit. See, the patient and proud are antonyms. They oppose one another, don't they? When we're impatient, why are we impatient? It's because we're proud. I mean, think about it. What does impatient say? Impatient says, what I'm doing is more important than what you're doing. My time is more important than your time, right? I mean, think about it. This happened this week to all of us, if not many of us. We're driving. Sweet great-grandma's driving her 25-foot Lincoln Town car in front of us, right? And she's just, she's just doing her thing. She's going to the grocery, right? And you're behind her, and you're thinking, what are you saying? Lady, if you only knew what I had to do today, right? Come on, right? We did that. You've done that, right? Yeah, I have too. But you're, what you're saying is you're impeding my progress. What you're doing isn't important. Is what I'm, I wish you weren't on the road today because I have business to take care of. I have things to do, right? Yeah, it's just, it's it's. Pride, right? And when we're impatient, we also get angry, right? Yeah, we, we get angry. Look at verse 9. Do not quicken your spirit to become angry, for anger lodges in the heart of fools. Yeah, getting angry doesn't help, does it? You know, you're gripping the steering wheel and you're saying profanities. Come on. What does that help? That's just really foolish, isn't it? What does it help? It doesn't help, right? And in fact, just in relationships, when you get angry, what happens? You say stupid things, right? In marriage, right? Or even children, siblings. Yeah, when you get angry, you say things that you're disciplined for. Yeah, it's just foolish, right? When you're angry. That's kind of a rule we say in our house. When you're angry, don't say anything. It's best, right? Yeah. Avoid impatience and pride. Thirdly, Look at verse 10 through 12. Live for today. Live for today. Say not, why were the former days better than these? For it is not from wisdom that you ask this. Don't waste your, don't waste, Solomon's saying, don't waste your time thinking about the good old days. You remember the good old days? And that's what we do, don't we? We talk about the good old days. How many of you can remember the good old days. Raise your hand if you're like, you remember the good old days? Even children. You know, even children are like, yeah, Dad, you remember when? You know, and they're seven. Yeah, I remember when. You know, that was the good old days, right? 
But what do we do? We, we romanticize the good old days, don't we? We romanticize them, you know? I mean, some of these older folks talking about chopping cotton and picking cotton. Man, life was simple back then. That was the good old days. Yeah, I mean, it's 20 degrees and you're going to an outhouse. And they're saying that was the good old days. But we do, don't we? And we all do that. Uh, Jenny, for example, Jenny and uh, Jenny and I, when we were married, we were living in. I left here and I went to Louisville when I was working full time, going to seminary full time, and uh, it was just a great. It really was a great season because everything was new, right? That's where I met my wife. We got married. We're newlyweds. We had a child. I was getting a great education, learning a lot about how to divide the word of truth, and it was just so many good things. We had a great church where we, every week we heard, we heard great expository preaching. We were around godly people. I, we experienced church there. People loved us. We had a great time um, just loving on lost people, sharing the gospel with lost people, loving our neighbors who were lost. It was just, we, we think about it, wasn't it, babe? We think about it, man, that was just a sweet time. That was the good old days. I haven't said that like in the last couple of weeks. Man, that was the good old days. But but really, if you if you pause and you really begin to think about it, I mean, we didn't have anything. We were living living off of love. We we're working, paying our bills week to week, and and as we if you really begin to dig deeper, you're thinking, you know, that was kind of a stressful time. I mean, there's times where we had these unexpected medical bills and we didn't know what we're going to do. And I'm trying to work, you know, 60, 70 hours a week. And, and Jenny, after Carly was born, she's like, you know, you're working too much. You're working too much. Like, well, we got all these bills to pay, right? I remember going down the road and I'm working full time and uh, trying to provide for the family. And I'm going to school full time and, and I had a book. And I had so much reading, every red light, I had my finger on my spot. Every red light, when I'd stop, I would read, right? right? And then the guy would honk, and I would go to the next red light, you know? And I would stop, and I would pick up right there. I mean, it was just so, it was really stressful, and we, got, we didn't get any sleep. And then the church, that is so awesome, when you really get to think about it, we think, man, they put a lot of pressure on us. We led a small group, about 40 uh, graduate students, um, seminary students. And they put a lot of pressure on us, where they want us there every Sunday morning, Sunday night, Wednesday night, and we had all these meetings to go to, and da 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 I was like, man, they put a lot on us. And we didn't have a lot of money. And if we think about it, yeah, Jenny had a car wreck, you know? It's like, yeah, we forgot about that. And, you know, we forgot about this. We forgot about that. And the more you think about the good old days, we think, man. That was a hard time. But what, what do we do? When we're thinking about the good old days, we, we, we minimize the frustration difficulties, don't we? But we really think about the good old days, maybe they're not so good. And what, what is Solomon telling us here? He's saying, live for today. We need to live in the presence. That's, that's what's wise. And that's what he's telling us to do. This is what it means to live wisely. Live in the present. Live for today. What's going on in, in, in today? Because what we do is we think about the past and we compare it to the present. And the present never measures up. 
for most of us. It never does. That's right. Wow. I wish life was as good as it used to be. Well, it can be. Let's just live in the present. Live for today. Okay? So we're to go to more funerals. We're to avoid impatience and pride. We're to live for today. And fourthly, verse 13 and 14, we're to reflect on God's sovereignty. Reflect on God's sovereignty. Look at verse 13 and 14. Consider the work of God. Who can make straight what he has made crooked? In the day of prosperity, be joyful. We've already talked about that, right? In the day of adversity, consider. God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. When things go well, people as a whole, they like to take credit for it, right? And we can sometimes do the same. But when things don't go well, what happens? God gets the blame, right? But the the truth of the matter is sometimes things don't go well in life. I mean, life is really unpredictable, and that's one of the things that we've seen so far in the book of Ecclesiastes. Sometimes life's hard. Sometimes life just doesn't go well. And God sometimes makes things crooked. That's what it means. God makes things crooked. Things don't go well. And the fact of the matter is, we can't fix it sometimes. Sometimes war happens. Sometimes tragedy happens. Sometimes cancer occurs. Sometimes loved ones pass away. But you know what? God is sovereign over these things. Now, God isn't the author of sin, is he? No. But God makes something crooked sometimes by using human sin as a means without himself being sinful, right? And we can't make it straight. We can't fix it. If God has ordained a war, guess what? There will never be peace. If God has ordained to take someone's life, despite modern medicine, we can't save them. But we don't know what he's ordained, do we? We don't know. So what do we do? When someone's sick, we try to save them, right? When there's conflict, we try to avoid war. We try to bring peace, right? But sometimes we don't know what he's ordained. Look at verse 14. God in his sovereignty gives us good days, doesn't he? In the days of prosperity, be joyful, right? Yeah, rejoice, enjoy them, be thankful. But also God in his sovereignty gives us difficult days as well, right? And why is that? Look at verse 14. He tells us that the second part of 14. Why do we have tough times? Why does he bring difficulty our way? God has made the one as well as the other so that man may not find out anything that will be after him. And so we don't know what tomorrow brings. That's kind of interesting, isn't it? I mean, the Bible teaches God brings rain on the righteous and the unrighteous, right? Life's unpredictable. And what does that do for us when difficulty comes? It makes us 
depend on him. Remind us that we need a sovereign Lord that we can depend on, that we can cling to. It helps us to focus on the eternal and not the temporal, right? I mean, some of you, you've, you've dealt with grief that's been so painful. What do you say? Man, I, I can't wait for glory. Or some of you have faced illness where you're, you're in such pain. You think, yeah, life with Jesus will be good. We need to reflect on God's sovereignty. Rejoice in the joyful times and trust Him in the painful times. Life is unpredictable. We need to trust Him, lean on Him. Fifthly, look at verse 15 through 18. We need to avoid extremes. Solomon is teaching us avoid extremes. These are difficult verses here. Verse 15 Righteous people suffer, don't they, sometimes? Yeah. Godly people suffer. Righteous people, godly people, they suffer. And then you see wicked people, self-absorbed, wicked, evil people. They prosper. It doesn't make sense, does it? Yeah, life just doesn't make sense. That's why I love this book, because it's just real. You know, everybody, you have to take off the rose-colored glasses. Life's difficult. A missionary's home on stateside. He's passionate about sharing the gospel. He, he and his family are working in an, uh, a hard-to-reach place. They're starting churches. They're discipling and training pastors. People are being saved. And he, while he's here on stateside, he's tragically killed in a car wreck. That don't make any sense to us, does it? He leaves a wife. Two kids, his wife's pregnant with another. That doesn't make sense. And we know God's sovereign, right? But we think, God, we need godly people. This is a man doing your work. He's sharing the gospel. He's winning the lost. Don't we need more righteous people? Don't we need more soul winners? But yet his life's taken. But we can trust him. We know that all things work together for good for those who love God, right? It's for His glory and it's for our betterment. That's what we have to do. We can trust Him. And then when we go through hard times, you know, we can we can lean on Him. Why? Because God understands suffering. Doesn't He? Yeah, he understands suffering. So we can lean on We can trust Him despite difficulties, despite hard times. But the truth of the matter is that the wicked, they rob and they shoot an innocent person. The robber, he's culpable, right, isn't he? But even the sinner is under the sovereign rule of God. The freedom of the sinner is under the domain of God's sovereignty too, isn't it? The robber lives, right? He serves a few years in prison and then he's released. And the innocent, innocent person is forever handicapped. Does that make sense? No, it doesn't. But God doesn't say it will make sense. We just have to trust trust the Lord. We have to trust Him. Look at verse 16 through 18. 
Be not overly righteous and do not make yourself too wise. Why should you destroy yourself? That's kind of, as Chris is reading that, I'm thinking, what are the people thinking? Do not be overly righteous. But you know what I teach my children? I'm teaching my children, be righteous. Don't hit your little brother, right? Be righteous. But here it says, don't be overly righteous. Interesting, huh? And do not make yourself too wise. And look at verse 17. Be not overly wicked, neither be a fool. Why should you die before your time? Does this mean that we should avoid being holy? That we should sin a little bit? Some people like that. They'll quote this. Well, you know, the Bible says, don't be overly righteous. But I think what this is teaching us is don't be excessive in trying to be righteous. Don't be self-righteous. Could say that, oh, well, we could sin a little, that would just be a faulty hermeneutic, wouldn't it? Because other scripture contradicts that. In fact, what's the conclusion Solomon comes to? Remember chapter 12, verse 13 and 14? Remember, we have to keep that in mind as we're studying this, this book. We have to keep the end, his conclusion in mind. That'll help us interpret these passages. Is he saying, well, we can sin a little bit? Is that okay? No. Because what does he say? What's his conclusion? Fear God and keep his what? Commandments, right? Yeah, he tells, he tells us elsewhere we have to obey God. We should fear Him. So what does this mean? Yeah, it means don't be self-righteous. Don't go to extremes in trying to prove your own righteousness. Tom Schreiner, he tells a story that illustrates this point well. There's a tour group, a Christian tour group, and they're flying out early one morning, and they're in the, um, the check-in line, and they are giving their baggage and, and whatnot and getting their boarding passes. And one lady had borrowed a small suitcase from a friend. And so when she gets up to the, to the line, the lady asks her this question. Ma'am, is this suitcase your own? Now, what does she mean by that? Yeah, she's not saying, oh, did you purchase this bag? What is she saying? She means, hey, is it your stuff in it? Did you pack it yourself, right? Is this your belongings? But what did the lady say? The lady says, no, it's not my bag. And so what do they do immediately? They call the people over, right? And they take the bag and they get everything out of the bag and they're looking at all the pockets. And, and the tour group almost missed their flight because of this woman. She was being nitpicky, wasn't she? She's being a little nitpicky, right? Being excessive a little bit, I think. Or it's like lying to save someone's life. Is it okay to lie? Do you tell the truth and see a Jew during World War II arrested and taken off to a concentration camp? Or do you lie and say, no one's hiding in my home? Yeah, when they come and knock and the Germans come knocking and say, anyone here? We're looking for Jews. Yeah, what, what, do you, what do you say? Is it okay to say, no, nobody here? I think so. I think so. Yeah, 
To not, not do so, I think, is being a little nitpicky, I think. A little legalistic, maybe. So I think what Solomon is telling us here is just avoid extremes. Don't be legalistic. How do we avoid that? How do we guard against being legalistic? I think is we just don't focus on our own works righteousness, right? But we instead, we focus on the righteousness we attain by faith in Christ. Look at verse 17. Don't be overly wicked. That's a given, right? Should we be a little wicked? Of course, no. But when we blow it, which we all do, right? We're all going to sin later today. When you do do so, that's not a reason just to throw in the towel, is it? You get angry with somebody. Then, well, I'm already angry. I'm already sinning. I might as well just go all in, right? Hit the person in the face, right? No. That's not what he's referring to, right? It's not what he means. You don't ever stop fighting sin, right? When you give in and throw in the towel, you've lost. And wise people don't give in. They keep fighting. They keep living a life of repentance. Even when you blow it, you keep fighting, right? Avoid extremes. And lastly, the last point, verse 19 through 29. It's a large section here. I, I think what Solomon's saying is good folks are hard to find, right? Good folks are hard to find. Good folks, righteous people are few and far between. Now, remember here that Solomon, he's the wisest man that ever lived, right? He's tempted to find, he's, he's attempting to find out about life. He's sharing with us his gleanings as he continues this search. And, and elsewhere, he writes many Proverbs, Proverbs chapter 1, verse 7. He says, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of knowledge. Fools despise wisdom and instruction. Again, in Proverbs 9, verse 10, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom and the knowledge of the Holy One is insight. And Solomon, of course, the conclusion of the book, right? Fear God and obey Him. That is wisdom. But the truth of the matter is, wise folks are hard to find. Verse 19, we need wisdom, right? Wise people, they do well. They please God. Wise people are needed. But the wise, the righteous are, they're slim pickings these days, right? In fact, look at verse 20. Verse 20 tells us that we all lack wisdom. We all sin. That includes you and that includes me. And then look at verse 21 and 22. Do not take to heart all the things that people say, lest you hear your servant cursing you. Your heart knows that many times you yourself have cursed others. So verse 20 is coupled with verse 21, 22. All have sinned. We're all sinners, right? We all blow it. Yeah. And so when you hear somebody saying something bad about you, what do you do? You, you can give them grace because you know you've done the same thing. You hear somebody talking, saying something that, about you that you don't like, it hurts your feelings, right? Don't take that too seriously. We all have opinions, right? And we voice them. Often, we have to remember who we are. Yeah. Some say they didn't like my sermon today. Some of you won't like my sermon today. That's okay. I hear you saying, yeah, that was horrible. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. 
But I, I've always my opinion, oftentimes too. So you just have to take it on the chin and, and go on. Yeah. Yeah. And another approach is just to say, if you hear people say something about you, and um, whether it's true or not, another approach is to say, wow, if you only knew the half of it, if you really knew me, right? I mean, who really knows us, right? And they say something bad about you. Yeah, that's, that's just, that's, you're not even scratching the surface. If you really knew, knew all the things that I think and my motives, how tainted they are, right? Yeah. Remembering our our own sin helps us be gracious with others, right? Philip Ryken, he's a commentator. His commentary in the book of Ecclesiastes, he says that he quotes Blaise Pascal, the scientist. If all men knew what each said of the other, there would not be four friends in all the world. Quite a truth in that, isn't it? I think we, we can't take that too seriously because we have to remember we're sinners as well. Look at verse 23 and 24. Solomon, he's still searching for answers to life's difficult questions. Even, even as he's teaching us, he's called the teacher, the preacher, right? He's teaching us. These are things we need to do, Taylor. But all the while, he's, he's still searching for wisdom. He's still trying to determine the wise way to live and how to avoid the foolish way, right? And look at verse 25 and 20 through 29. And lo and behold, what did he do? Solomon, trying to find how to live wisely, and he runs into a woman that was trying to destroy him. And it says here that the sinner is destroyed by her, but the wise, the one who pleases God, escapes. Right? Look at verse 26. And I find something more bitter than death. The woman whose heart is, is snares and nets and whose hands are fetters. He pleases God, escapes her, but the sinner is taken by her. Talking about sexual sin, right? We think about Delilah, right, in the, the book of Judges. The, book, the story of Samson, right? And it's ironic that Solomon writes this because he himself was led astray by godless women, right? First Kings chapter 11, it tells us. He was led astray by all these godless women. He's writing this, right? Avoid that sexual sin. Look at verse 28. This will get give you something to talk about at lunch. One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. What do you think about that? <laughs> Was he a chauvinist? One man among a thousand I found, but a woman among all these I have not found. He couldn't find a good woman anywhere. Now that's not what he's saying. Because we know he liked women, don't we? Yeah. What he means here is that righteous people are, are hard to find. And look at verse 29. And since Adam and Eve fell in the garden, there's been none righteous. See, this alone I found, that God made man upright, but they have sought out many schemes. God made Adam and Eve upright, didn't he? But what happened? They sought out many schemes, right? Their pride led to their demise. They sinned, and their relationship with God is broken. It's hard to find righteous people. In fact, we need Jesus to help us 
be righteous, right? He makes us righteous. The Bible says those who aren't righteous won't see God. Will you see God when we lay you to rest? When your life on earth is over? Will you see the Lord? Not if you're not righteous. And we need Jesus' imputed righteousness, don't we? 1 Peter 3.18, for Christ died for sins once for all, the righteous for the unrighteous to bring us to God. Just by way of application, I will encourage you, if you're a non-believer, if you've never repented, you've never turned from your sin and trusted Jesus, I will encourage you today to repent. Turn from your sin. Jesus commands us to repent. Turn from our sin. If you've been living your life for you, turn, stop, and live for Jesus. Turn from your sin and trust Jesus' work on the cross as your own. And he will impute to you his righteousness and declare you justified. See, the fact of the matter is we're all sinful and we're all separated from the Lord. Jesus came to earth. He lived a sinless life. He fully obeyed the law of God for you. He died on the cross, was punished for sinners. He died. He was buried on the third day. The Bible says he rose from the grave. And 40 days later, he ascended into heaven. But he said, one day I'll come back. And when he comes back, he'll come back in judgment and he'll judge sinners. And those who are separated from the Lord, they'll be judged and they'll be thrown into hell and they'll be separated from God for all eternity and they'll suffer the wrath of God. Is that going to be you? Is that going to be you? Have you turned from your sin? Have you trusted Jesus as your Lord and Savior? The, that's the bad news. The good news is that, that Jesus died for sinners. You don't have to be separated from the Lord. The Bible says if you confess your sin, He is faithful and just to forgive you of your sin and cleanse you of all unrighteousness. Your relationship's broken because you're a sinner. That's true of all of us. But God says we can be reconciled to God through Jesus Christ. Jesus died for sinners. Sinner, won't you repent today? I want to encourage you to do that. Turn from your sin and trust Jesus. He died for sinners. If you're a sinner today, I'll encourage you to repent and trust Jesus. For believers, how do we apply this to our lives? I think one thing we, we need to do is avoid extremes. Don't be legalistic. Don't be legalistic. Don't try to gain your own righteousness by your works. Avoid that, right? We just trust in the righteousness of Christ. Also, reflect on God's sovereignty. He's using the bad for your good and for His glory. So trust Him, even if you're going through hard times, difficult times, a crisis in your life. God wants to use that for your betterment and for His glory. So trust Him. I encourage you to live for today. Don't romanticize the past. Some of us live in the past. Some of you are going through hard times. You've been... Your husband or your wife has left you, and you think about the past and how good it was. And for some of us, we romanticize the past and think far too often about it. We need to live for today. Avoid impatience and pride, believer. How do you do that? Think of the gospel often. 
and how Jesus put your interest above his own, I encourage you this week to do the same. And lastly, if you have an opportunity to go to a funeral, go. You need it. Solomon says so. We need to go to funerals where we can be saddened and we can think about our mortality because it will be you or me sooner than we think, most likely. Thank you for tuning in today. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast if this message has been helpful to you. Again, if you have any questions, go to our website for our contact information, and we'll see you next time.